Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and it's in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Jesus went again beside the lake. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. And as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Well, today we are beginning a new sermon series called Taste and See. So over the next four weeks, we will be talking about food and how it relates to our faith. And while on the surface it may seem like food is ordinary and faith is something that is sacred, our hope is that through this series you'll find that it can be both. Food can be both ordinary and sacred at the same time. From the very beginning of time, God designed creatures with a need for physical sustenance. In the passage that Zach read for us just a few minutes ago, we see that God made sure that there were plants and vegetation for people and animals to eat from the very beginning. And still, thousands of years later, there is no doubt that food and nutrients are vital for survival. But food and mealtimes are important, not just physically, but also socially and spiritually. I want you to think for a moment about one of the best meals you've ever had in your entire life. Really let yourself go there. When was like one of the very best meals you've ever had? Where were you? What did you eat? And perhaps most importantly, who were you with? If I had to guess, the meal you're thinking of does include other people. If you, ha if you had the exact same meal, but you were all alone in the same setting, I just don't think it would taste quite as good. Because there's something about sharing a meal with other people that can take the same food to the next level. Food is a very important part of my life. Many of my happiest and most memorable moments have happened around food and people that I love. Just in this past week, I can think of several examples. On the 4th of July, like many of you, I'm sure, we enjoyed the all-American cookout. We had hot dogs and hamburgers and Koneka and watermelon and cookies and chips, and we swam. We were in the sun all day. And part of what made that so great is that we literally just snacked all day on this feast of food. That's what you do on 4th of July. It's a special set-apart day. And then on Thursday, we went to visit my mom and her husband in Panama City Beach. And as soon as we walked in the door, my mom announced that she had been craving oysters. And so Mike and I are not very picky, and we love seafood, and we said, let's go. So the four of us went, and we got oysters, and we got tuna dip, and we got seafood nachos, and we ate until we were totally full. And then today, this is a little spoiler, because you haven't experienced it yet, but we're going to have food between the services, a little extra food in addition to the donuts. And all this makes me think about our like our potluck Sundays, like Palm Sunday, when everybody brings just a little something and suddenly it turns into a feast. I am convinced 
that from regular, everyday lunches that you can share with colleagues to fine dining in the most beautiful place you can imagine, there is something sacred about sharing those experiences with other people. After Jesus' death and resurrection, we see that the very earliest Christians gathered together over food. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. Sharing meals with each other was a natural extension of Jesus' ministry. And when we consider how often Jesus talked about food and used food in his teachings, we begin to understand why. In our Bible, the inspired word of God, we have countless stories of Jesus eating with other people and talking about food. Jesus took something so simple, so ordinary, so necessary for life and turned it into a teaching moment. Consider the feeding of the 5,000, turning water into wine, extending forgiveness to Peter with a fish, the making known of himself on the road to Emmaus through the breaking of bread. And even when Jesus wasn't actually eating with people, he was talking about food. Think about how often he talked about food in his parables. He talked about yeast, he talked about grapes, figs, bread, fish, grain, mustard. I mean, why do you think this is, that Jesus used something so human, so ordinary, to get across these huge messages about the kingdom of God? Well, Kendall Vanderslice is a writer and baker who holds a theological degree and also an MLA in gastronomy from Boston University. So she has dedicated her whole academic endeavor to understanding the intersection of food and theology. And she has a book where she's written all about the dinner church movement, where people gather around meals for church. And in it, she writes that what is clear, no matter your theological persuasion, is that Jesus want folks, wants folks to eat together in his name. So let us think again about the passage from Mark this morning. Mark is our gospel writer that cuts to the chase. It is the shortest of the four gospels. It is filled with urgency and there are not many extra details. In just chapter 1, in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, he has already told us about John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of Christ, Jesus' baptism and temptation, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, the calling of the first disciples, and even the beginning of his miraculous healings. All of this takes place in 57 short verses in the Gospel of Mark. So then we get to Mark chapter 2, verse 14, when Jesus calls Levi to be his disciple. We learn early on in this passage that Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors were seen as agents of the Roman Empire and were socially known as dishonest business people. As a category, they were labeled impure, which meant that contact with them was forbidden under the law of Moses. But even still, Jesus sees him along the shoreline working his normal job at the tax collector booth and extends a simple invitation to him, follow me. And immediately, Levi leaves his tax booth and follows Jesus. The conflict of the story is introduced when Jesus dares to go to his house and to share a meal with him. Joining them at the dinner are other tax collectors, sinners, and unnamed disciples. The scribes observing the dinner 
say to one another, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Eugene Peterson's message version of the same verse says, what kind of example is this, acting cozy with the misfits? This closeness, the intimacy of a shared meal between Jesus and these other people makes the religious scribes angry. How dare he associate with people who are unclean? How dare he share food with sinners? There are social and legal codes which should have made this type of contact illegal. But Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. His need for communion with his followers was more important than anything else. In many ways, the only thing Jesus has in common with these people he's sharing a meal with in Mark chapter 2 is a common need for food. And yet, through this door, through this entry point, Jesus demonstrates a whole new way of functioning together as a community. Some of my favorite meals and memories took place when I was someone that was an outsider that needed to be welcomed in. Twice in college, I went on mission trips to China with Auburn's Baptist Campus Ministry. And these, um, these mission trips focused on connecting with college students while we were there. Because mission work is illegal in China, we had to do it under the guise of something else. So it was a cultural exchange program with students who were majoring in English. That's very important to this story and to our communication while we were there. So in this case, um, the college exchange student, um, the American students that I was with, there were about eight of us, we would go into these college classrooms and just talk about what life was like in America. So we would tell them about sports that were popular in our geographic region. We would talk about holidays. We would talk about wedding traditions, American pop culture. And then the Chinese students would do the same from their perspective about their culture, about what it's like to be a college student in China. And it was amazing. I feel like it gave both of us a firsthand look into what it could be like to be a college student in another country, in a whole other context. And while technically our education time was supposed to end in the classroom, the real learning took place around meals. And this may come as a surprise, but I don't speak Chinese at all. I can't read Chinese, and Chinese is not a language you can fake it till you make it. It is so complicated. Even trying to learn just to count one through 10 while we were there was comical to the students because there are so many different inflections you have to use. And so it's very, again, very, very complicated. So without these new friends who had been taking English for their entire lives and they were majoring in English, I'm not sure how we would have ordered at restaurants or what we would have eaten for those three weeks that we were there. The lunch times were pretty simple because we just went to the dining hall, just like any other college student, and we had a little swipey swipe that we put the that we put the food on, and we just ate whatever the students were eating. We drank whatever the students were eating at lunchtime. But for dinners, we went to local restaurants where the options were endless. Traditional meals in the two parts of China that I went to were served around a round table, and they had like a lazy Susan type thing in the middle, so it spins. So the Chinese students would order just basically, it felt like the whole menu. They would just order a little bit of everything because they wanted us to try it and also they weren't sure what we would like. 
And so it all gets put on the middle of the table and you're supposed to use your chopsticks to get what you want to put on your plate and it spins. Um, so that required them helping us order. We could not have done it without them. I cannot emphasize that enough. And then the other type of restaurant we would go to them are, or go with them to our hot pot restaurants, which is a similar, you sit around a round table and then the center of the table is a boiling pot of broth or water. And you order what sort of meat and vegetables you want to cook in it, kind of like fondue. And so they would order all these things that you put in the pot. And again, you have a ladle that you put on into your bowl, and that's how you eat. But if we had not had the help of our friends, again, I'm not sure exactly what would have happened. The thing that was so amazing to me is that on paper, we had very little in common with these students, aside from our age, aside from the fact that we were college students. We had cultural, geographic, linguistic, and spiritual barriers that sought to keep us apart. And yet, when we gathered around these tables, specifically around those dinner tables, none of that mattered. We were a group of people who were created by God, sharing a meal, nourishing our bodies and our souls. And it was during those mealtimes that we were able to share about Jesus, about the gospel, that we were able to tell them a little bit about our lives, about what had brought us actually to China in the first place, and about how they too could have this relationship with Jesus. And it was a life-changing experience, not just for us who were from America, but also for the Chinese students who we were getting to know um, and actually, two of the students who we traveled with are full-time missionaries now living in China, which I think is so amazing. And this, this is the power of food. God created humanity with a need that is universal. No matter where you are, no matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your beliefs, food can be a unifier and a gateway to deeper, more meaningful conversations. When Jesus went to Levi's house for dinner that night, it was not only an act of resistance against the laws that sought to separate them, but it was also an example to those who were looking on. Jesus was demonstrating a new way of living, of being, and of sharing life. So throughout this series, we're going to talk a lot about food from different angles and also about our faith. But the starting point for today it's just the simple, remember that Je the simple reminder that Jesus established his church around a table. A table of people that did not always look like him, that did not always act like him, but were welcomed just the same. It is convicting to consider who we share our meals with most of the time. If you're like me, it's usually people who you do life with anyway. Your friends, your family, your co-workers. But when was the last time you extended an invitation or accepted an invitation beyond your comfort zone, beyond your bubble? Perhaps even to someone that you think you probably have little in contact with, in common with. My challenge for you and for me today is to begin reframing our mindset around food and worship. Food is not just something we need physically to be able to continue throughout the day, and worship is not just something we do on Sunday mornings when we gather together for an hour. When we gather in the name of Jesus to break bread, no matter where we are, no matter who we are with, it can be church as we nourish our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. 
So who can you share a meal with this week? It doesn't have to be a grand homemade dinner. It could be eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a coworker, and you each bring it from home. Or it could be inviting an old friend to meet you at a coffee shop on Saturday morning. Or it could be asking someone in this room if they'd like to go to lunch after church today. I think we should just not overcomplicate it. Jesus ate with people, so we should too, remembering God, the source of all of our food and fellowship. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.